Hi, and welcome to the State of Talk podcast, brought to you by the International Society for Conversation Analysis. I'm Elliot Hoy of the Free University of Amsterdam, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Lorenzo Mandata, Professor of Linguistics at the University of Basel. It would be difficult to summarize the extent and influence of Lorenzo's work in the MCA, but it isn't difficult to make the case that she's currently regarded as the world's foremost authority on the analysis of video-recorded social interactions, especially as regards the interplay of multimodal resources for the constitution of everyday and institutional activities. To give just a glimpse of her recent work, she's examined in a series of papers the interpenetration of talk and ambulatory movement. She recently edited a volume on touch and social interaction, and coming out this summer is a monograph entitled Sensing and Social Interaction from Cambridge University Press. Among many, many other sites, Lorenzo has recorded in wine and cheese shops all over Europe, as well as bakeries and butchers in train depots and at border stations. She's looked at art museums and garden tours, uh, as well as dumpster diving and fine dining restaurants. Given this truly remarkable breadth of fieldwork, I was delighted to talk with Lorenzo about her ideas about and experiences in data collection. This interview format is just one of many formats that we, the ISCA Publication Committee, are currently testing. Our broader aims with our website, social media presence, and forum newsletter is to generate discussion, collaboration, and put a fire in our belly about the interactional discoveries that only can come from our kinds of naturalistic inquiries. If you have ideas, or if you want to participate, please go to conversationanalysis.org and reach out to us. We would love your input on what we're building, and which we hope is a truly international connection among our EM and CA communities. Hi, Lorenzo. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come on the podcast. We're going to talk a bit about data collection and data gathering. Hi, Elliot. Nice to be <laughs> with you and uh, all the crowds uh, of ISCA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when thinking about planning for this episode uh, in particular, you were the first person that came to mind. So I'm really glad that you were able to find some time to uh, to talk about this. So um, as I was trying to, you know, in my mental um, literature database, going through the different uh, places that you've recorded, uh, I could come up with the cheese shops, uh, video media, uh, video game interactions, um, architectural and garden tours and uh, museums, um, I guess prominently also kiosks and cars. And so yeah, you seemed uh, uh, one of the most prominent people working in uh, ethno CA who records in, in, in a variety of spaces. So with, I guess, that as the background, I was curious, um, what are some, uh, some first considerations that you, you have uh, when, when launching a, a project? Yeah, when launching a project, uh, generally I have past projects in mind. Um, and basically, um, I think that my way of working is uh, to constantly have uh, more than one line of uh, interest or uh, of inquiry active. And, uh, and, and basically what I do on, for example, one, uh, one terrain or one fieldwork often uh, generates new ideas for, uh, for the next. Um, or when I am uh, working on a project, uh, it, it produces very often the next, uh, also the next project. So I, I consider uh, my work as a continuous flow in which uh, I have constantly mm, the chance of having a lot of ideas. 
uh, and at some point some might crystallize in that project. So I'm, I'm not starting from zero. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have the blank page uh, in front of me and yeah. saying, uh, oh, now what kind of project uh, I'm going to do. I think that this, this is the advantage of uh, being uh, in, 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 in academia and in research for some time um, and being able to, uh, to build a, a coherent uh, kind of uh, intellectual program over the over the years where where projects are important but uh, the the creativity and the, the the innovation comes from in a in a way uh, a free way of constantly thinking about uh, about things yeah so could you say some for your work in sensoriality how did that grow out of um, previous work what was it that provided the the germ for you thinking about sen the senses in those terms well, the sense, senses on sensoriality, multisensoriality and interaction is uh, my newest, uh, in a way, my newest um, uh, field uh, of, uh, of interest. And the, the, the genesis of that is, is, is quite exemplary for what I was saying in the, in the sense that uh, uh, it began within another project that I was doing at the University of Helsinki, mm -hmm. which was uh, a project on, uh, on multimodality and exploring various aspects of, uh, of multimodality. Uh, and one of uh, the, the issues that I was uh, working on in that project was uh, what kind of uh, data can we collect in order to do a proper comparative analysis uh, within uh, multimodal ethnocea, which we can come back uh, later to, but it's, a, it's an interesting question to ask, not only in relation to uh, analysis, and phenomena, but also in relation to how you plan fieldwork for doing that. And in, uh, in order to do that, in that project, I began to collect uh, recordings uh, of shop encounters. Mm -hmm. You mentioned kiosks at the beginning. I was uh, uh, looking at uh, bakeries too and uh, at cheese shops. Mm. And so I ended up in that project collecting um, uh, data in uh, um, shop encounters in gourmet shop encounters in uh, 15 different cities in Europe, mm -hmm. speaking at least 12 different languages. Uh, this was the comparative dimension of it, and, uh, and it, it, uh, it resulted quite, uh, to be quite exciting in that perspective. Yeah. But the other thing that this generated, and this, was, uh, this is a good example of uh, serendipity in a way, mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that it generated was an interest for, uh, for food and for um, what, what people do with food and how they uh, engage uh, with food in, uh, with their entire body. Uh, and that generated the fact uh, that an, an interest for tasting, smelling, touching, and, and, uh, and looking, given that um, working on cheese shops, uh, cheese was, uh, was a, a material, it's a kind of materiality that is particularly interesting for that. So out of this project that was uh, generously funded by the Academy of Finland, mm -hmm. uh, out of that project, another project uh, quite uh, rapidly emerged just because on a conceptual level, uh, multimodality was not considering uh, 
uh, issues of multisensoriality, mm -hmm. and that seemed to me a good, uh, a good, a good, uh, an innovative uh, uh, topic to uh, to dig into. Then all the data were generated. Mm -hmm. I wrote the project, uh, and all the data were uh, generated to respond to these issues. All right. So I guess that, in a way, you know, very nicely answers the question, but it also sets up. Um, the other kind of question that I had, which was, you know, uh, from which side do you begin? So you just gave a really nice example of how uh, you begin with a setting and then you figure out, you know, this is a perspicuous setting for looking at the senses. And so that's, you know, one direction, start with the data and then you realize what is a kind of practical problem or what is available there to look at. Um, going from the other direction in which is then the, the problem for you as a researcher. Once you have that, how do you then expand from there? How do you, you know, sort of fan out and look for other settings where this might be uh, relevant? So going from cheese shops and bakeries to uh, the senses, uh, how did you decide uh, where to go next to look for places where the senses were a relevant thing for participants? Yeah, in fact, it's a, it's 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 never a linear process. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, it's it's interesting to discuss it in terms of uh, either you start from the setting or you start from uh, from an issue. But uh, in fact, you it, it's a it's a it's a circular or it's mm -hmm. a, it's a spiral uh, uh, process where uh, you you are on a setting, you get an idea. Uh, you think about uh, an issue and you search for, for further settings, um, which will probably generate further things. When I began to think about uh, sensoriality, of course, sensoriality can be, uh, can be discussed from uh, uh, unlimited mm -hmm. number of, uh, of perspectives and, and, uh, and settings. Um, given that I want, I, I was I was interested in multisensoriality, where mm -hmm. not only one modality, one one type of sensoriality, like uh, like uh, only uh, vision or only touch, or uh, was was uh, was in focus. Food seemed to be well emerged quite quickly as a, as a good example of one kind of materiality i wanted to work on materiality for for various uh, various reasons you can discuss about sensoriality uh, between humans mm -hmm. but uh, on the on the one side uh, this has been maybe more um, studied until now, at least uh, as far as touch uh, is concerned. Mm -hmm. It's more difficult to, uh, to work on the smell mm -hmm. um, between people and to work on the taste of, uh, uh, of people, uh, unless you want to go in very particular <laughs> settings. Um, I was rather interested in, uh, in the relation to, to materiality uh, because uh, it is also uh, challenging from a conceptual and analytical perspective, given that when you touch an object, the object doesn't respond to you, contrary to, uh, to a person. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the conceptual puzzle is uh, how can you speak about uh, the intersubjectivity of sensing when you sense the materiality of the world? So this, this is, a, this is a, a, a central problem um, that uh, uh, I wanted to, uh, to address. And food seemed to me an ideal um, setting or a perspicuous uh, uh, setting activities related to food because you have all the senses involved uh, and because uh, very often uh, you have collective of, uh, of people engaged in activity 
uh, in activities related to food, either for searching the food, for producing food, for consuming food. Uh, so it's a it's a social arena where uh, these uh, these issues uh, of uh, of multisensoriality could be ideally uh, tackled. Yeah, and I, I had the distinct privilege of being around for some of the meetings uh, where you and your team were talking about the different settings and places that you wanted to access, such as dumpster diving, uh, food preparation kitchens. Um, but I was wondering, like, how did you decide on those? Like, did you just have a, a wide list of um, sort of pie in the sky, ideal places that uh, you would get access to? Or was it more that you thought of these places because you had practical access to them um, either by you know proximity or having somebody that you knew or somebody that knew somebody. Yeah, this uh, access is always uh, fundamental, and I think it's uh, it's important to to start maybe from places you have access to. Um, but in the case of that project, I mm -hmm. had all my cheese shops already, and uh, and the cheese shops generated, for example, uh, the recording of very interesting cheese training workshops for professionals mm -hmm. uh, or generated other other an interest for other uh, other settings that that's a, also an interesting thing once you i had that for surgery once I, I i i was able to enter in the operating room i could go to other groups mm. uh, and saying uh, look i was in the operating room now can i come into your group and uh, even very closed difficult to access groups would mm -hmm. uh, would then kind of they, this was facilitating the access and and gaining some kind of good ethnographic or encyclopedic or even expert knowledge in one field uh, enables you to enter much easier in a much easier way in in other fields so i i had no problems to talk with uh, for example creative cuisine restaurants mm -hmm. Uh, because I love that, uh, and, uh, and 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 so that 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 was also a kind of uh, um, in a way easy way to uh, to go to the next uh, mm -hmm. to, the, to to the next fields. Now accessibility is one thing, but then after um, given that I generally uh, I'm interested in having a diversity of uh, mm -hmm. of fields. That's a strategy too. I could I could go in the other direction and having a very like I did in a way for the cheese shops, having a a, a, a huge number of uh, uh, of encounters of the same type. But the other the other thing that interests me is to have a diversity of uh, of settings. Mm -hmm. And once you get access to one or two settings, you begin also to see what. Uh, uh, what what the next one would be nice to have mm -hmm. uh, or what the next one uh, is missing or what the next one is difficult to get hmm. and uh, uh, typically the, the the dumpster diving uh, was uh, occasioned by discussions with some uh, uh, squatters in uh, in so illegally occupied houses mm -hmm. uh, discovering the practice and getting excited about the practice uh, because that was a practice that was difficult to get mm -hmm. and this is exciting exciting too um, and another another thing that uh, that can explain how you you go from one setting to the other was the fact that um, once you have been going to fine dining uh, star restaurants, uh, creative cuisine, mm -hmm. uh, 
one question that I wanted to cover also was what happens with the um, um, kitchen in refugees' houses, for example. Uh, that is uh, uh, trying to to uh, to cover also the other the other social end of uh, of these kind of uh, of practices. So so in in, in a way you can. At least my, my way of reflecting is also this this contrastive uh, reflections. Mm -hmm. I had I had, for example, people tasting the soup when they are cooking it. Uh, that's one thing. But what happens when people are tasting uh, uh, sophisticated wines mm -hmm. uh, and uh, have maybe a tasting sheet in front of them? Is that what what uh, how this diversity of uh, of social settings then impinges on your vision of what tasting is mm -hmm. tasting as an activity tasting as a practice uh, uh, etc that's really i hadn't uh, heard it articulated in that way before but that's really nice it, it brings to mind in my graduate studies in linguistics uh, there was a common complaint well maybe, perhaps not common and maybe this is unfair nowadays but a complaint about typologists so people who are mm. looking at uh, languages the world over how there would be quote-unquote drive-by typology and how you know this would be the linguist dropping into a village uh, collecting data and then getting out of there and it reminded me of how i think some people's criticisms of uh, ca and not as much ethno but uh, some people's criticisms of ca is that we don't do um, ethnography as uh, as it is you know conventionally understood but what you were saying about data collection um, really makes a very good argument for um, not ethnography per se, uh, but having a very deep understanding of uh, the settings and activities that you want to record in, um, not only because that gets you, uh, hopefully gets you access to those settings, but also because um, the deeper you understand a setting, the, the clearer it becomes uh, what you need to do next, or you know the, the next situation that you would like to record um, emerges or is you know endogenously generated by questions that emerge over the course of um, looking at uh, and understanding deeply um, the, the setting that you're currently looking at. Mm. I think that you mentioned typology. The other the other uh, field I think uh, is uh, corpus linguistics mm -hmm. and the way in which corpora big corpora are built and they are they are built on the basis of a typology but often this typology is very poor mm -hmm. it's a, a social social class a little bit yeah. uh, written versus spoken language uh, this kind of very rough uh, mm -hmm. uh, distinctions I think that the, the, the kind of uh, um, emergent uh, uh, serendipitous typology uh, that uh, that you can practice when you do field work is is something much uh, richer and where you you actually you discover things uh, you don't find just what you were already uh, already knowing or already uh, already guessing. And and this also, I think, this discussion shows the the, the importance of uh, doing ethnography. Mm -hmm. um, but doing ethnography for the kind of work that we do—that is, uh, I do ethnography for with and for a camera. Mm -hmm. uh, I do ethnography in order to to constitute a, a, a collection of of data that is adequate, uh, that makes sense, that is coherent. 
that relies on a, on a good understanding of uh, of the field, mm -hmm. and also that is uh, done in a in a way that respects the people in the field. Mm -hmm. um, so ethnography is also for me related to uh, to to the to the ethics of uh, of mm -hmm. research. It is very different than ethnography per se. So I I, I will not publish my uh, my field notes or mm -hmm. or uh, or advocate or. or or refer to to my ethnography knowledge in order to explain a phenomenon. This is this is I think what is distinctive uh, between the ethnography we do, uh, or at least I do, and the ethnography in uh, in in, uh, in ethnology or anthropology, uh, for example. Mm -hmm. To return to the issue of access, I'm curious. Just um, maybe one way to put this is: when you approach uh, a new setting, uh, what are the first things you think of? in practical terms for, for gaining access? Like who do you talk to first or um, who do you talk to in order to talk to somebody else first? Yeah, can you, could you maybe give some examples from, um, I, I, I'm thinking specifically like the, uh, you have a corpus of a video from customs, um, border, border, um, mm, border mm. crossings. What was access like there? Or you know, feel free to, to comment on other places where access was a really salient issue for you. Yeah, I, I think that the, the access, uh, pro by the way, the, the, the customs uh, corpus that I, that I did was occasioned by me having to uh, accompany the truck driver when I moved to Basel <laughs> um, and entering the, the, the office uh, of the, the, at the border and he, he, listening to all these languages mm -hmm. and listening to people who were talking in languages they didn't speak. And that was, that was a great moment and uh, while doing my my own stuff yeah. at the at the border, I decided that I wanted to come back with the camera. So you were stuck um, there that long that you that you observed that. <laughs> well, it was it was pretty pretty fascinating, and then for somebody like uh, well, I've been working on, on multilingualism for a while, uh, and I'm still interested in in uh, in these settings as. Uh, also an, an example of uh, of limits of uh, of language definition of mm -hmm. uh, of languages and homogeneous system etc but um, in in the the border was an example uh, that that reminds me also when i i did comparative uh, data gathering in um, train stations for example mm -hmm. this is another very similar example uh, it, those are uh, very complex institutions uh, where uh, basically the access to the field depends not so much on somebody you could know, mm. but uh, on the hierarchy. Uh, those, those are very hierarchically organized settings. And uh, in order to enter, uh, to get access to these settings, you have basically for, for the for the train stations. It took me one year oh, of wow. negotiations with the the Swiss uh, railway national railway uh -huh. system, uh, and for the borders, it it, it took uh, it was more regional, but uh, but it took also uh, a few uh, a few months oh, wow. uh, uh, before. So in these cases, you have to understand the complexity of uh, of the the organization you are entering in. Uh, the same thing uh, when I when I did the the, the recordings uh, of participatory democracy meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, in uh, in Lyon, I had to uh, to go quite up uh, in the in the political and institutional hierarchy of the. In that case, was the region, not even the city, the region, mm -hmm. the urban region of uh, of Lyon, and uh, and and go through all the the, the kind of official. Uh, uh, gatekeepers uh, um, uh, that uh, that were absolutely necessary to right. uh, to convince in order to enter. Um, this is one one type of uh, uh, of access. The 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 other the other access, of course, uh, along a, a continuum of uh, of complexity, would be the the the, um, the dinner conversation where you ask to the host, uh, for example, mm -hmm. or, or or a small group of uh, uh, of people, team. You might have access to one person in the team, mm -hmm. but immediately it can get quite complex when you when you're working on institutions, uh, because I think that everybody every day. Uh, ordinary non-institutional mm -hmm. like uh, people doing uh, gaming on their computers yeah. uh, or doing uh, we, we call it petanque games mm -hmm. or things like that it, it's it's really a matter of uh, establishing uh, the trust with the direct participants but even mm -hmm. small groups uh, small teams like uh, when I organized the, the, the big fieldwork of uh, five non-stop days in a museum uh, where I, uh, I documented how a big, big uh, contemporary art installation uh, was, uh, was rebuilt. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I had contact with the, the members of the team in charge of that. But this went very high to a very prestigious museum in France, to a museum in Basel, and then there were there were even problems uh, of uh, of copyright with the artists. Oh, course, yeah. So I I had to to meet the artist, uh, <laughs> and the museum didn't want me to meet the artist, uh, and the artist uh, was possibly uh, hostile. But at the end. We uh, we were very. Uh, it was very a very nice story. We uh, we we became good friends and, and <laughs> everything went okay. But uh, uh, those those are as soon as you enter in the in the, in these institutional settings, it can it can become quite uh, quite hard. Uh, that the, the the distinction that you're making um, it's not one I had heard of before, at least in terms of data collection. But it makes a lot of sense that you know if you want to access. You know, certain, especially institutional and hierarchically organized settings, that you have you have to go to the top, and uh, you can get you know permissions that way. But if you're doing something more informal and you know domestic, uh, ordinary, that you, you you have to go to the people themselves. Um, but uh, do you, are there other sorts of uh, divisions that you would put uh, similar to that um, in in data collection? So not just. Uh, ordinary versus, I guess, institutional or hierarchical. Um, yeah, so uh, how do you, you know, conceptually, do you distinguish uh, sorts of settings and uh, modes of data collection? Well, it, well as far as the, 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 the access uh, to, to stay on that mm -hmm. is concerned, an interesting thing about the access uh, is not just how can I get rid of the ethical um, mm -hmm. constraints uh, as quick as possible. It's not that the problem. The, the, the issue is that if you, if you uh, and again, a bit of ethnography helps in this, uh, if you take the setting seriously, uh, a condition to access both uh, for the ethics, but also for 
a relevant um, collection of data is to understand how the setting works mm -hmm. and how how the the the, uh, the the social structure in a way uh, characterizing this setting uh, works um, because this uh, this is important to, to get access and to know who will get you access mm -hmm. it's important to respect people because for example in big organizations i had to go through the very high hierarchy but i was spending hours of time with the lower levels of the hierarchy mm -hmm. In order to, uh, because for me it was important that the people who were recorded mm -hmm. were not just accepting because the hierarchy had accepted that uh, I wanted them to be convinced about the project. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that that's where the the purely ethical uh, rules and the the ontology and my uh, personal ethics. Uh, might not always correspond. And I think that uh, in my personal ethics, I have to do much more than what I am supposed to do uh, uh, in relation to, to regulations. But this, this also, uh, I think this, this understanding of, uh, of, uh, the, the, of the, how the setting, how the activities work um, in a more global context, I think it's important in order to, to situate to know where, where you want to put your cameras uh, mm -hmm. and to situate the very activity you are uh, recording. You, you cannot record the entire setting, uh, that's for sure. So you always uh, do choices and our choices, because we come from a praxeological perspective, we want to capture actions um, and actions within activities. So one question when you enter in the field, you ask yourself, okay, what is, what is the activity that characterizes this field? Or what is the activity where I will get the phenomenon mm -hmm. or the, the, the topic that I want to, uh, where the action to study? Is. Yeah, where the action and where the phenomenon is. Um, if I if I think about uh, micro practices like uh, of uh, of tasting or of uh, of uh, mobility or of mm -hmm. uh, of of whatever, and the the understanding of the relevance of that activity uh, within a broader context, I think it's uh, it's absolutely uh, central. Mm. Uh, you had mentioned um, the the necessary restriction in using. Um, recording equipment that uh, it always imposes a perspective and it always excludes um, something necessarily. Um, mm. Could you talk a little bit about some of the challenges or, and, and constraints uh, in terms of uh, perspective and viewpoint and angle and perhaps even you know height of the, the recording equipment and placement of the and positioning? Mm. Um, maybe in terms of I'm thinking the like the in restaurants, like how do you decide um, how to place a camera in in restaurants or mm. even i know like from dumpster diving that that's difficult well well i i think that in this in this respect and and this this relates both to what i was saying about the the understanding the the kind of uh, structure of the of the social arena where you are entering but also uh, about about uh, the 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 kind of uh, technological um, and not so technological, methodological, and I would say also conceptual choices that you do when you place a camera. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that it 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 might be, 
relatively simple if you target um, an activity which is uh, relatively static, so you don't have problems uh, of, uh, of, of delimitation of space, mm -hmm. and activities which are uh, temporarily well-defined. Yeah. Example, a meeting that lasts from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock in a room where people uh, don't constantly go out uh, to, uh, to do mm -hmm. other things. In, in that case, uh, you have a kind of natural segmentation of the activity within, of course, a broader context, but uh, uh, the boundaries are quite clear. And this might help in order to decide how to record it. The opposite uh, example uh, is, of course, a, a, an activity where you have uh, mobility and where um, you don't know when the, the thing will happen. Uh, so mm. this, is, this is what, uh, what we are doing in, in, a, in, a, in a project right now called The First uh, uh, Five Words, which is about uh, unacquainted people uh, meeting other unacquainted people. So meeting people by chance. Mm. And there, the, 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 it's, it's the exact opposite uh, to, the, to the professional meeting or the dinner conversation. Right. And, and there you have all these, uh, these, these issues of, uh, of uh, uh, trying to, <laughs> you have to develop a completely other, other way of, uh, of, getting, um, of, get, of getting the recordings. And that's why in the literature, if you look, uh, there are tons of uh, dinner conversations nowadays uh -huh. uh, and meetings, right. and there are practically no much less mobile mm -hmm. uh, settings uh, studied um, and even less yeah, unplanned yeah, chance encounters or uh, yeah, more aleatoric yeah. Uh, yeah, encounters. So, so, so I think that this, this, this is a good example of, uh, of how your, your, yeah, where you are confronted about the, the, the question of how, how do I frame and framing can be, uh, um, can be very, very metaphorical, how I frame the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the activity, but also how I frame it with mm -hmm. my camera. Um, in, in the middle, we can, we can come back to, to one of these, yeah. uh, these extremes, but in the middle, I think that, uh, for example, the, the, um, the restaurant, for example, could be a good, um, a good example of um, a setting that could be, and, uh, and it's perfectly legitimate, uh, defined in a, in a, in a very um, circumscribed way. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, there are two people or three people or whatever, how many people uh, dining, and you focus your cameras in that. If you, and, and this is a definition of the, of the activity that is centered on these kind of participants. But if you are interested in the service, right. uh, you might have a completely different, uh, different type uh, of, uh, of framing of your, um, of your recordings. And if you are interested, for example, in uh, something I, I've, I would love to do, but uh, uh, it's very it's very difficult to to get access mm -hmm. to uh, is is the relation between what happens uh, uh, at the table, uh, the service, and what happens in the kitchen. Hmm. And if you if you are interested in, in in that, of course, you will you will position your 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 cameras in a completely different uh, different way. So so this is I think a good example of how. Uh, Basically, 
the placement of the cameras, which is often considered as a relatively technical aspect, is in fact uh, related to this analysis of uh, what is the activity that I, mm -hmm. want to, uh, I want to catch. Of course, that's on the more uh, macro level, maybe. Yeah. Uh, there are also decisions at the more micro level, uh, in the sense that if you are interested, as I am, in, in things like uh, tasting, uh, I will pay attention to details in the activity that normally escape the placement of the cameras, mm -hmm. uh, because the placement, the first placement of the cameras is on the participation framework and tries to capture the participation framework in its entire, mm -hmm. in, in entirety. Whereas uh, issues uh, related to materiality, for example, that is very important with, uh, for, for issues of sensoriality, implies a, a focus that is much more uh, uh, small, in a way, focused on, uh, on, on some details. And that's where you, you, might, you might have more cameras, zoomed in cameras, et cetera, et cetera. You might have other, um, other problems uh, for getting access to my, uh, embodied micro practices. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's another, well, that's another range of issues. No, I mean, I'm interested in, I mean, because we've been talking about recording equipment and by that we've almost exclusively meant just traditional uh, video and audio recorders. Um, but I was wondering what uh, your perspective was on uh, different sorts of technologies, uh, you know, whatever different lenses or uh, perhaps eye tracking or more immersive, even drone technology, what you think about those and perhaps how you are thinking about those sorts of technologies with respect to, um, you know, members' understandings of, the, of their own circumstances. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that one, um, this, this is then a matter of, uh, I, I really think that it's a matter of how you, how you define human action and what is your, the paradigm, uh, the, the theoretical paradigm you are thinking about uh, these, uh, these issues. Mm -hmm. uh, given the emphasis in EMCA uh, on uh, members' perspectives, and members' orientations. Mm -hmm. I think that um, using, uh, for example, surveilling cameras uh, or using uh, drones mm -hmm. uh, is, is something that is uh, potentially problematic in the sense that it, 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 uh, it imposes on the recorded activity a type of glance mm -hmm. that is not uh, the type of glance uh, uh, co commensurable to the to the participants, unless you are doing uh, a study of how uh, people in a control room uh, track and survey people, which is mm -hmm. a, a completely other uh, other definition of uh, of the of the, the phenomenon. So, so you 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 have this kind of technologies that that uh, that for me uh, uh, introduce a, a very different perspective. Although I have played with them, uh, mm -hmm. I, I I think the drones are fun uh, to uh, to use, but I will never use them uh, as primary uh, recording. So I I make really the difference between what what is my my primary first uh, uh, absolutely central camera or set of cameras. Uh, 
<laughs> and uh, and and uh, and there might be other other cameras that I can I can add to that. And for example, the drones could be one. We have experimented in the team uh, drones for 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 filming petanque games, mm. um, because uh, in the petanque you have the position of the balls right. uh, on the floor, which uh, generally are invisible for at least certain ways of filming the participants. So the drone was quite cool in this uh, in this respect, uh, but generate was generating uh, was generating a kind of a cartographic vision on the on the on the game, which might have been interesting at some or relevant at some points, but uh, then you have other problems like uh, the drones are, are still very noisy, yeah. and um, and so the, the the issue is do you want to play with these new technologies or do you want to do your job properly and uh, in uh, in that case the drones were were just too um, too noisy and too interfering with the activity and then you have uh, on the other on the other side you have uh, uh, what I would call micro technologies like uh, mm -hmm. eye tracking for example. Yeah. Uh, or other measuring instruments that uh, you could uh, uh, equip the people with. Mm -hmm. And I think that in, in that respect, you have again a question of uh, members' perspectives, although, although uh, this is a, an ongoing discussion and, and, uh, with, with eye tracking, uh, uh, people who, who are partially also agreeing with that. Um, the, 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 the issue is you get an access to private details mm -hmm. uh, of the of the person uh, where uh, where the, the, for the, the where, where the eye is is exactly looking at which uh, at, at which uh, speed or, or or which detail that becomes problematic when this is not anymore a members uh, a, right. a, a members thing if if suddenly as an analyst you get, for example, the earth rate of the the person. Yeah, or skin uh, conductance or something. Exactly. The question is, uh, what what is the intersubjective accountability of these things? And uh, and I think that here we are we are um, at the limits of uh, uh, what uh, might be biologically uh mm -hmm. interesting but is not anymore socially uh, uh relevant although it does make me think now you know if people are more and more people are wearing watches that betray their heart rate or something like that that you could in uh, per perhaps theoretically look at someone's watch and detect their heart rate absolutely but uh, but then I, again uh, the question is what defines heart rate as a member's phenomenon right. and it becomes a member phenomenon when uh, I know that I have a cardiac uh, um, issue and I am constantly checking it mm -hmm. or I am even uh, showing my uh, my iPhone to to my partner in order to reassure her mm -hmm. um, this will be a member's phenomenon where <laughs> the heart rate becomes uh, highly yeah. uh, highly highly relevant but uh, uh, but if I don't do, I don't look at my at my phone or at that kind of uh, um, that mm -hmm. if I'm not defining myself as a quantified self, uh, this is not relevant anymore. So I, I think that there is a very um, in a way a very simple and clear guidance in the ethnomethodological perspective on these things. Mm. 
so to move just uh, for now from choices about technology to choices about, or I guess, divisions of activity, I was wondering uh, if I could get your thoughts on uh, activities that are unique and so like things that just happen once and perhaps never again. I mean, I, I guess that's the case with anything that happens, but things that are uh, unique and you just record them once without relying on their reoccurrence um, versus those activities like at kiosks or at, um, you know, at help desks or uh, at other sorts of service interactions where they're recurrent. Um, so what are the sorts of uh, pros and cons of, of each and what, uh, yeah, and how do you go about in general collecting data for, for unique versus recurrent events? Yeah, I think that this question is important uh, also to prepare uh, for further analysis, for example, analysis of certain kinds of collections mm -hmm. and, uh, and also analysis of uh, possibly comparative, um, yeah, comparative analysis. Um, the, the, I think that the, 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 the distinction between unique um, uh, activities and recurrent activities uh, maybe um, can be rephrased in the sense that unique can be unique because I collect only one mm -hmm. in the sense it's unique for me um, and it can be unique because it happened only once in its um, in its social uh, dimension, not in a, in, a, in a phenomenological dimension. Of course, every, yeah. every moment of our life is, uh, is unique, mm -hmm. but uh, there might be, a, a, a for, for example, a unique moment that uh, you, you catch in the, in the exact, to give you an example, in the example of uh, my recordings in the, in the museum, at the end of the of five days of work, uh, of the crew uh, uh, around the installation, uh, we had a magic, unique moment mm -hmm. where the artist came mm -hmm. and visited his own installation and, uh, and began to, to he, he got into it, mm -hmm. he, was, he was taking objects, the conservators were completely in panic. Uh, he, he was, he was, and that was, was a, a, a kind of, quite fantastic uh, um, and, and watched as by, by everybody as a unique <laughs> moment. Um, I think it's more interesting for uh, history than for um, uh, for our analysis, but uh, who knows, uh, maybe one day I will do something on the sense of unicity. <laughs> um, the, 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 the other, I think, more, more um, methodologically more useful uh, distinction is between yeah, a unique um, uh, uh, occasion that you, are, you have access to, mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, a, specific, uh, a, a specific tasting session, mm -hmm. Uh, in uh, in my case, or um, I, I recorded butchers, uh, so amateur uh, butchers uh, um, uh, cutting uh, a big pig in little pieces. Mm -hmm. uh, I did that only once, yeah. and not uh, so. Those are those are kind of uh, unique uh, unique situations. Although within a unique situation, of course, you can find recurrent phenomena. Right. Um, but the advantage of uh, recurrent recurrent activities is that uh, they help you to construct uh, the systematicity uh, of uh, a collection mm -hmm. with uh, large numbers 
Um, and in that sense, the the, uh, the recordings that we did on, on on kiosks, which were in relation to the to the recordings of kiosks that uh, Maria Elena Sornionen was uh, had done in uh, in Finland, was that in uh, in two hours of recordings you were getting I don't know hundred uh, yeah. interactions that were so standardized in in uh, in a way and recurrent that uh, uh, that where in, in, you know that, that's why we did that for comparative uh, reasons mm -hmm. uh, and that was that was an interesting discussion about doing a comparative project from the very start from the the the, the, the gathering of data mm -hmm. and not on the basis of data that you already had where you go to search for recurrent phenomena so so the, this this recurrency uh, is is uh, uh, i will not say that this is the only thing to do uh, because uh, it, it it will be very limited uh, because it will be very constraining in terms of searching for uh, for uh, or focusing on these kind of activities but it's very interesting for uh, for example generating uh, hundreds of uh, sequences of uh, uh, of requests or of uh, offers or of uh, thanking, mm -hmm. for example, because they they happen all the uh, all the time. Uh, so so far we've been, um, I guess we could put this in terms of you know when you go and you look for uh, a setting that's recurrent in a way it generates um, multiple instances of the same kind of situation that you're looking for. Um, but we can contrast that with other, I guess, modes of data collection or data access or data gathering, however you want to call it. But it's not where the researcher goes and gains um, access and consent and permission to record a setting. But I guess on the one hand, you can access data that have already been recorded. You can access video and audio that um, can be repurposed for EMCA inquiry. Um, and then alternatively, you can also, in a way, orchestrate, not experimentally, but for instance, I know uh, in, in some data that uh, you, you put on a wine or a beer tasting and invited people to it. And, you know, it was a, a, genu a genuine uh, beer tasting in the sense that there, there was beer and uh, they, they were tasting it and talking about uh, the taste of the beer and the, sense, the scent of the beer. But I wanted to get your, uh, your, yeah, your ideas about um, the, the differences between these modes of data collection um, those that are more, uh, I guess, researcher-generated uh, versus those that are um, yeah, where, where you access data that's already out there? Yeah, I, I would differentiate between uh, uh, what the researcher is generating. Mm -hmm. uh, the researcher can generate data, um, and those are videos that are done as research data mm -hmm. by the researcher. Uh, the researcher can, of course, generate all all kinds of uh, elicited um, uh, activities and and uh, and settings, which is generally what I uh, don't uh, don't do. Uh, the case you are mentioning of the beer uh, the beer tasting was a, a kind of um, maybe hybrid uh, case in the sense that I didn't generate that uh, for uh, my interest in whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, I was giving um, uh, I was giving a course uh, to the to the students about the, the lexicon of uh, mm -hmm. uh, of sensoriality. And as part of uh, that uh, seminar, 
uh, I took the occasion uh, of knowing somebody who was a beer taster mm -hmm. uh, to uh, invite the student uh, to make an experience in uh, and also reflexive experience because tasting sessions are reflexive mm -hmm. experiences about the categories for naming uh, uh, things and so so that case uh, it's true that I, I recorded that but it was not um, uh, a, a, a session that was orchestrated uh, purely for uh, right. for generating data, but that was uh, uh, in a way naturally occurring within a course of uh, of action. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a seminar and, and, and a discussion mm -hmm. uh, uh, about um, yeah tasting expertise, experts, etc. So I guess that's hybrid also um, in in a way. Sorry, I guess it's yeah, hy yeah. hybrid in a way that when we give students, uh, you know, recording equipment to go record something from their own lives, they also, they often come back with, you know, mealtime conversations or just um, episodes of them hanging out with their friends. And so those are, you know, the auspices under which those uh, situations come to be are sometimes orchestrated by the student, you know, they'll, they'll invite friends over um, to have pizza or whatever, and to play a game or to watch TV or something. Um, but in a way, it's yeah, one degree removed mm -hmm. from the researcher themselves. But uh, I must say that uh, I, uh, at some point, I, maybe at the beginning of my career, I was working like that. It's years that uh, I, I really refrain or when the students do corpora mm -hmm. for them, for their, 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 their uh, work. In most of the cases, I find that these data are not usable. Mm -hmm. There are too many bias, too many problems uh, related to them. And another situation is when I take the student as, uh, um, in a way, part of a project. But at that point, I am the assistant of the student. Mm -hmm. I go on the field and I set up the cameras and I, and I control everything so, so that at the, at the end it's not. Uh, and, and I think that students have to learn. Mm -hmm. uh, I really think that that and that's fine that they learn. But I don't think that we can easily transform data collected by the students into um, research data. And this is because of the uh, quality of the recordings in terms of the audio and video, or is it more conceptual? It's, well, sometimes it's the quality of the data, but it's, uh, I would say, uh, ethno it's an ethnographic reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, where, where you don't know if they have mm -hmm. invited the people right. uh, for that, what they have said. It, it's in, in, in a lot, a lot of cases, it is uh, pretty staged. Yeah. And it's, uh, it could be comparable to some kind of YouTube mm -hmm. uh, uh, data, which is uh, another, another example of, uh, of things that have been done by others. Mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, I, I am uh, suspicious of, uh, of using prima facie. Uh, right. Of course, it, it might be interesting to have a reflection about what is a YouTube um, uh, video and, and uh, what we can say about uh, who has uh, made it, for which purposes, how it is presented, etc., etc. But then you study the YouTube video right. and you don't study Practices. The, uh, the practice that is transparently accessed through the YouTube video. And I think that here we have um, 
uh, uh, yeah, dialectics between the transparency or the opacity of uh, of the the the, vi the the activity of videographing something, mm -hmm. and we cannot always do as if uh, there is a total transparency of uh, the videographing device. Yeah. Um, so, so this this for me um, leads to something that we have discussed in the book with uh, Eric Laurier and, and Matthias Brod mm -hmm. uh, about uh, doing video as an activity that uh, uh, can be studied by uh, by us, uh, where uh, at that moment the focus is not not so much on the uh, on what happens under the camera. Uh, but on how the camera uh, documents what happens and for which purposes and, and how the practices of uh, video graphing, videotaping a setting can be studied as uh, building the, the intelligibility, the accountability, the, the social uh, meaningfulness of, uh, uh, of that setting. And this, this opens up uh, a, a really a range of uh, very fascinating, uh, very fascinating topics that uh, I was considering, um, for example, when studying how surgeons were using uh, video recordings in order to operate. Uh, uh, so they really needed to, to, to produce a video frame. Uh, there were very interesting issues with the color of blood, for example. Yeah. Uh, because if you if you if you don't um, regulate the parameters of the of the camera in the mm -hmm. right way, you will have too much luminosity mm -hmm. or too too little luminosity produced by blood. So <laughs> so emerges are a problem not only for physiological or, or anatomical reasons, but because they blur the picture, <laughs> and you need the picture in order to operate. Uh -huh. So, so this is this is I think a, a nice example where you cannot, um, of course, you access the operation mm -hmm. uh, uh, through through the video and you can say a, a bunch of things uh, about the operation, but uh, you can also describe what they are doing as uh, accessing the operation through video. So you you in a way you integrate uh, uh, the the video recording as a member's practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the phenomenon that you are uh, you are looking at, uh, and I think you can do that with people filming with their iPhones, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, you can um, the 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 other day we had a very nice uh, TV um, exposure. Mm -hmm. um, my team and I for the Swiss TV uh, who wanted to film us uh, while filming uh, in our COVID uh, project mm -hmm. where we are filming social interactions uh, in the pandemic uh, era. And what was interesting was that we were doing our job and we had the, TV, the television crew filming us doing our job. Mm -hmm. And we added a third layer where we filmed them filming us. <laughs> and that was, that was a very nice kind of uh, way of, uh, of uh, also re-symmetrizing the, yeah. the relation to them. And actually, it produced quite uh, quite nice uh, uh, quite quite nice uh, moments. So, so it's just to say that that uh, this is also a matter of framing. Do we frame what we are doing as uh, the 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 social activity we are interested in, 
uh, or are we framing that as the social activities filming the, 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 the scene? And I would say this is not always interesting. You need, you need uh, I, I don't do that systematically, mm. um, but uh, when I have good reasons of doing it, uh, I think it's, uh, uh, it's a necessary step back uh, mm. in a way, also in order to reflect about our own, uh, our own practices. Uh, and I think it's also a matter of uh, re-symmetrizing the relation between us and, uh, and our participants to submit to analysis, not only the participants, but uh, in a symmetric way, um, submit ourselves uh, to, uh, to analysis. Well, I think uh, that's as good of an observation to end on as any, but I guess before we close mm -hmm. this up, do you have any anything currently that you would like to publicize or promote? I, I, I think you, you, you have a, a book coming out, is that true? <laughs> yes, uh, I thank you Elliot, for asking <laughs> that. I was, I was not thinking about doing uh, marketing, uh, but- uh, um, You don't have to include I think, it if you don't want to. <laughs> I think Cambridge University Press will be very glad if I do that. <laughs> so yes, I have a book coming out on uh, uh, sensing and social interaction. Uh, is uh, collecting my uh, th thoughts during the last years about how we can uh, approach and conceptualize uh, and analyze uh, the senses, uh, sensory practices in social uh, interactions. Uh, I hope it comes out uh, soon, is Cambridge University Press, uh, and um, it will be, I think, an interesting book. Okay. <laughs> Well, uh, again, thank you so much, Lorenza, for doing this. It's, as I think, given uh, everyone uh, a whole lot to, to, to think about in terms of, um, you know, reflecting on their own data collection practices and uh, how they will perhaps change those practices in the future. So thank you. Thank you to you, Elliot, for um, stimulating this, uh, this conversation. It was uh, very, very nice to talk with you.